I told you that uh, <laughs> several times now that we are talking about life change. And, and so when you're talking about changing something, the correct spelling of the word alter is A-L-T-E-R. That's not what you see on the screen there because we are, it's a play on words. We're looking at times in the Old Testament when people experience real radical life change at an altar, A-L-T-A-R, a place where worship is offered to God. And um, all of us, every one of us, I don't even need to ask the question. Every hand would go up if I did. We all want, we all need aspects of our lives to be changed. But that doesn't happen just through self-determination. It doesn't happen through self-help or any of the kinds of things that a lot of us uh, resort to in trying to bring about these changes of our, in our lives. I mean, it's not that, that that's not worth attempting those things or employing those tools but ultimately you know and I know that true and deep and lasting and real life change isn't found in any other place but in the presence of God worship at, at his feet and your life will be changed and so we've been talking about principles of life change that we see in these occasions in the Old Testament when people experienced an alteration of their life at an altar and Today we're going to be dealing with the principle of choice, the life-altering principle of choice. And I asked you to turn to First uh, Kings chapter 18. We're going to be reading it, starting at verse 20. And let me just give you a little bit of the background before I start to read. We're going to encounter the name of a guy named, named Ahab. And Ahab was the king at this time of the northern tribes of Israel. Israel, the Jewish people at this point, were divided into two kingdoms, the northern and southern. The northern tribes were called Israel. Southern tribes were called Judah. The reasons for, the, um, for this breakup and the, and the two kingdoms, I won't go into. It's not a good reason, but that's where we are here. And Ahab was a very corrupt, very uh, horrible king for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was that he led the people of Israel into worship of false gods. His wife Jezebel was even worse. She was the one who had all of the prophets, every one of the prophets of God, slaughtered except for one, Elijah. And that's who we're going to be encountering in this passage. So Ahab and Elijah we enter into a scene here where the state of the people of the northern tribes of Israel is horrible. They have resorted to all kinds of perverse uh, religiosity, worshiping primarily the gods of Baal and Asherah. We've talked about that before, the male, female, mother, father, gods worshiped by the pagan peoples that they were supposed to displace but did not and adopted their their worship of false gods. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. He did that because Elijah, the last remaining prophet of God, shows up and says, because there's been a, God has sent a multi-year drought that's devastating the people. God sent this drought to uh, get the people's attention so that they would turn back to him. Elijah shows up and says to Ahab, Ahab, if you want this drought to end, you're going to get all the people of Israel together at Mount Carmel. And so he does. Verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. It seems fairly logical, doesn't it? If God is God, follow him. If God is God, what sense does it make to do anything but give him everything of your life? If he's not God, then what are we messing around? Why are we here today? So Elijah sets up this choice, this decision. Choose, he says. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. What it doesn't say here is that there was also another 400 prophets of Asherah. So 850 false prophets total. And uh, he says in verse 23, Therefore let them, all of these 850 false prophets, give us, excuse me, the people, give us, the Elijah and these 850 prophets, two um, uh, bulls. Let them, the false prophets, choose one bull for themselves, cut, in, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you guys call on the name of your gods. I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the Lord, excuse me, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Sounds like a pretty good, straightforward plan, right? I'm going to set up an altar here with a, a bull ready to be sacrificed, the wood laid out. You guys do the same thing. We'll both pray. Whichever God sends fire to ignite the sacrifice, we're going to figure that's the true God. So everybody says, yeah, sounds, sounds like a winner. Verse 25. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for your many and call on the name of your God but put no fire under it. And they do that. And then they start praying and dancing around and shouting and screaming and cutting themselves with knives so that blood gushes out. And this goes on for hours. In verse 29, And when midday was passed, the pro they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. So this comes all, all day long. These false prophets are trying to get the attention of their God. But notice what it says at the end of verse 29. There was no voice. There was no answer. No one paid attention. Why? Because Baal is not God. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. What's, what you might not know from reading that is that on Mount Carmel, for at least, or for about 300 years, there, there had been an altar to the true and living God there, but because the people had decided to worship false gods, it had been allowed to fall into disrepair. So he rebuilds it. Verse 31, And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. We don't know exactly how much a seah is, but um, it's clearly given uh, here so that we understand that this is no small deal. This is a big trench that he dug around the base of the altar. Verse 33. And he put the wood in order 
cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four, four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and the wood. So he, he wants to make sure there's no doubt about this. Ask them to take four water pots, fill them with water, and pour it on the wood, the sacrifice, and let it drip down into the trench around it. Then he said, verse 34, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. <laughs> he wants to make sure we get the point. So the water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench with water. Then verse 37, no dancing around, no shouting, no cutting with knives, simple prayer. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. What would you be doing right about now? Now all the people saw it and they fell on their faces. That's what you'd be doing. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Make a choice. Make a choice. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? How long, Elijah says, are you going to try to walk the fence? One foot in, one foot out. How long are you going to try to see how spiritual you can get without really going over the edge? While at the same time trying to see how worldly you can be without actually becoming a damnable sinner. Choose! Why? Because the view from the fence is fuzzy. One of the symptoms of living life in this kind of in-between, faltering position state is that life is very foggy, mysterious, uncertain, unclear. When you're trying to walk the fence, when you're trying to, you know, divide the difference or, or split the difference, as they say, you have no clarity. You can't put your full weight down anywhere. And so life just feels like a fuzzy mess. Straddling the boundary of belief is a purposeful attempt. It's something we choose to do to keep our options open. But it actually is no way to live. In fact, when, when Elijah says, how long will you falter between two opinions? That word falter or halt as it is in the King James means limp. When, I, when I'm trying to walk the fence, my life is just out of sync. My step is just out of sync. It's like limping through life. That's not, not the way we were meant to live. We were meant to live with laser focus. Choose. If God is God, give him everything. If he's not, give him nothing. But we have a God who is not hiding from us. 
He wants to make himself clear. God is willing to bring things into focus. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, excuse me, yeah, Romans 1.20 says that the natural world declares everything we need to know about God. Even if we didn't have the Bible, even, even if we didn't have some preacher person like me standing up here, you know, doing whatever it is I do, we would have everything we need to know just by looking around. It's as though God has erected billboards everywhere. I'm here. I'm here. Earlier this week, we had the solar eclipse, and a lot of people got really excited about this celestial happenstance, and I, you know, I, I get it. I understand. I didn't, I didn't uh, watch it, but we, were, we went to Portland uh, to, for the birth of our kids' twins, Yahoo! <laughs> and uh, we, we, came the, we came there the day after the eclipse. And uh, so that was Tuesday. Monday, you know, the Portland area, that part, or uh, northeast or, or northwest Oregon was one of the prime places for watching the, um, uh, the eclipse. And so every single rental, call, rental car was taken. <laughs> so we flew into the airport and we, anyway, we worked it out, but it was, challenging because people wanted to see this event and I don't blame them our universe is amazing astounding beyond anything we can imagine the scope of the distances alone that make up our universe and the fact that it's probably not the only universe just staggers the mind it didn't happen by itself this did not happen by itself when you look at the person sitting next to you you're seeing a billboard from God I am here everywhere we look God is trying to make it clear I'm here In Luke chapter 11 verse 9 Jesus said ask It'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be open to you. We don't have a God who's hiding from us. However, there will be people, perhaps even someone here today, I hope not, who choose to ignore the signposts, the billboards. And, and make no mistake about it, though, it is a choice you're making to ignore that. Now, everywhere Jesus went, get this, you know, everywhere Jesus went, he'd heal the sick. Blind eyes would be opened. Deaf ears would, would uh, hear. People who were lame could walk. Dead people were raised from the dead. And everywhere he would go, the people would say, well, if you just show us a sign, we'd believe. People choose not to believe. And Jesus said for those people, the only sign they'll be given is the cross and the empty tomb. Do with it what you will, but there you have it. But we have a God who wants to reveal himself to you. I was reminded of this yesterday. I, was, I won't even tell you the story, but I, I accidentally 
found a recording of me. It was pro I, I, best I can figure is probably 10 years ago. Uh, just me and my guitar someplace, and I was recording uh, the very first song that I ever wrote. And uh, so I listened back to it. It's a very crude kind of note, not professional anyway, recording, but I was listening to it, and my all these memories came back to me because I was 14 years old, and I was getting ready to go into high school, and so I was starting to think for the first time in my life a little bit long-term, you know. I was making this big transition into you know, not adulthood, but getting there. And uh, I was thinking about my friends, you know, the, the surfers, the stoners, the jocks, and trying to picture where that trail that they are on would lead them, because I'm thinking, I wonder which one I should join, you know, which group should I be part of, what, what kind of a person should I be? And so as I projected these pathways out, I came to the conclusion that they weren't going anywhere. And I found myself saying this, God, I was alone in my room, God, if you're there, number one. Number two, if you're the God this book describes, if you're the God that the Bible talks about, show yourself to me and I will follow you because nothing else makes any sense. If you're really there, then I want to give you all of my life. That's a no-brainer. I want to know. God loves to answer that prayer. And how he did for me was that night I went to bed. I, I was awakened in the middle of the night with a three-word phrase that came to my mind. Sunrise over Jordan and I found myself humming this little tune I, I got out of bed I grabbed my guitar and as fast as I could play and write I had written this song and I was like dumbfounded and I knew three things instantly and then there would be a fourth thing that was even more staggering to me that would happen a couple of months later but the first thing I knew was God heard me the second thing I knew was that God knew the secret desires of my heart. Because I never said anything to anybody about the fact that I wanted to be a songwriter. And the third thing I knew was that I would follow him for the rest of my days and give him everything I've got. Then a couple of months later, and I won't tell you the whole story, but this pastor happened to overhear me playing my little ditty, you know singing it and he sat down next to me and he said wow that was really interesting how you used that theological phraseology how do you know about all that and I'm like I don't and so he began to explain to me my song <laughs> I I so I knew that there's a river called Jordan. I knew probably, I think I knew in those days, there was a country named Jordan over there in the Middle East somewhere. And so in my mind, I'm thinking this song that is called Sunrise Over Jordan, I'm thinking it's just talking about a sunrise in the Middle East, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea. And he said to me, he said, Randy, he said, wow, that was re it's really, really something how you 
turned that phrase. He said, you know, the Bible uses the term Jordan or the Jordan River to be symbolic of death. He said, because it was the threshold across which the children of Israel passed into their promised land, the Bible uses that to describe when we pass from death into eternal life. And he said, so when you talk here about there being a sunrise over Jordan for those of us who know Christ and that there's darkness that remains for those who do not, that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. And I, I knew all over again, there is a God and he is worth everything I've got. Nothing less than that. Our God will answer that prayer. He wants you to know him. It's the skeptic, the one who cannot bring themselves to faith, who will have to deal with the cross and the empty tomb someday. But if you want to know, we have a God who is not hiding from us. Let's watch this. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, <laughs> guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Yeah. <clears throat> we have a God who is willing to bring things into focus, but belief is a choice, not a conclusion. In other words, there's not going to be a day when you've analyzed all the data and you've decided, oh, okay, well, I'm, there must be a God. I'm going to uh, believe in him. No, it's always a choice that we make. Always. I've already said there's overwhelming evidence for, for belief in God, but it will come down to a choice, a decision that we make. Now, when we make that choice, it changes things. So get ready. I mean, I've already said several times, if God is God, he deserves nothing less than all of me. 
And so when I choose to believe that God is God and I stop faltering between two opinions, here are some of the changes that take place in our bodies. We begin to stop thinking of our bodies as a pleasure palace and more that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Changes the way we think and behave concerning our bodies. Changes how we think about our employment and careers. It's no longer just a job. It's a divine assignment. Changes the way I manage and handle and think about my finances and material possessions. I'm no longer the owner. I'm simply a manager. Changes how we think about our homes, where we live. They're not just dormitories, not just places where we sleep and eat and house our stuff. They are embassies of the kingdom of God. Changes how we treat our marriages. They're not just about companionship and my, you know, butterfly feelings towards you or not. They're a calling. A calling. We demonstrate the love of God and the grace of God, the gospel message in our relationship. It's a high calling. We've got to get serious about ditching our, our pride and our selfishness. If I believe that God is God, then I've got to make sure that my marriage honors him. Changes how I think about my recreational and entertainment choices. Not just about my personal escape. It's about my spiritual renewal. So I might do some different things than I've been doing. Changes how I think about my relationship to the church. I'm not just an attendee. I'm a member of the body of Christ. If God is God and I've given him all that I am, then it changes how I relate to you. I'm no longer a taker. I'm a giver. The choice to believe in the God who is and to surrender all I am to him is monumental, changes everything but it must be faced. I, my guess is that nearly everyone here this morning has stared that question down and made the choice I've been describing at some point in your life. But perhaps even you need to revisit that choice today and how the implications of that bear upon your daily life and mine. But it might be that you're here today and you've been, like Elijah said to the people, faltering between two opinions, trying to keep your options open. Can I humbly and warmly, lovingly say to you, choose. If God is God, follow him. This is recording number 11273.
from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 27, 2017. This is the fifth and final message in a series titled, How to Alter Your Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Choice.